Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As camp rolls on, so do we here on Bird 365. Johnny Mac with Jeff Kerr with me again today. John McMahon will join us about uh, 20, 25 minutes from now. He's heading down to Eagles camp, but... J.K. and I are here to uh, chop it up for you for the next two hours. Mr. Kerr, uh, second Eagle practice of the year. Were you wowed? Were you knocked over? Were you ready to declare the Eagles a winning football team or a playoff football team at this point? Oh, come on, Jody. Jalen Hurts to Devonta Smith, 40-yard touchdown, Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, you can dream the dream, right? That's what we do here as we work our way through a preseason, uh, at least from what I could gather from all the reporting, and we'll get John McMullen to join us in less than 20 minutes from now. Um, seems like there was a little bit more emphasis on the defense, although John and everyone else reported that in day one, with all of the red zone stuff that they worked on, the defense seemed to get the better of the offense. Yesterday, because Jonathan Gannon was uh, made available to the media, you got a little bit better feel from the defensive coordinator as to what kind of defense he's going to be run. He's sticking to his hits philosophy there, J.K. Yeah, he is. And, you know, I, I like what Fletcher Cox said on day one. It's He's still going to be in three technique, but I, I kind of like how Gannon confirmed it a little bit. Like, yeah, we're going to mix and match them all over the place. And it seems like they're going to do that with a lot of their players, use multiple fronts. and But as long as Fletcher Cox is in three technique, he's all good. But I, I kind of like how Gannon said, hey, we're going to move this guy around. We're going to move that guy around. And, you know, Fletcher Cox is pretty much unstoppable unstoppable to block, and we're going to use him as much as we see fit because it seems like Gannon's really putting the emphasis on getting pressure on the quarterback and getting sacks. And as you pointed out, and uh, I think uh, Coach did yesterday, he's going to do it differently than the previous defensive corner he was here. Uh, we'll get, as I said, McMullen up here in about 20 minutes. Uh, he was a bigger Jim Schwartz fan than I was. Now, I didn't knock Jim Schwartz. I didn't think Jim Schwartz was a bad defense coordinator. I just didn't think he was one of the best defensive coordinators, which some people in this town kind of put him on that pedestal, which I wasn't sure how if that was the case or if he deserved it or not. But uh, Jonathan Gannon is going to be a more flexible coach. Uh, the previous defensive coordinator kind of believed in what he believed in, and you can make that work. If you've got the players to play that type of a defense, here we come. We're just going to out-execute you. You may know what we're going to do, but it doesn't matter because we're going to be able to uh, stop you with what we do. Okay, fine. Eagles didn't always do that. Uh, so that's why uh, I wasn't as big a fan of Schwartz as other people were. Do you like the new, different, we're, we got a chance to trick you as much as we got a chance to outperform you way that Jonathan Gannon seems to be laying things out? I thought – and. I'll say this with Jim Schwartz. I thought he was a top 10 defensive coordinator in football. I would have ranked him higher before last year, but last year, I don't want to say I saw the light in Jim Schwartz. I just thought the defense was getting stale or it was outdated. And I didn't like how he wasn't changing things up like Jonathan Gannon seems to be doing. And Kayvon Wallace had a really telling quote yesterday. I am more comfortable 
going into year two, and the coaching staff is putting me in position to dominate. Or but I'm paraphrasing here, but I kind of like that. And I think Kayvon Wallace was saying, look, they told me to play here in year one, and here was it. Year two, they're having me play to my strengths. And I think that was Jim Schwartz's biggest weakness over the last five years. You played his style. That was it. It was my way or the highway. This guy seems to watch film, evaluate these guys, and say, you know what? You guys are going to succeed. I am going to adjust my philosophy for you. And uh, I've always been a fan of that. Both the head coach and the defensive coordinator kind of uh, made that a point during this offseason that schemes are schemes, and you have your basic tenets and belief. And we know with Gannon, it's the hits philosophy, and that's what he's going to try and emphasize with his team. Uh, rather than put that square peg in that round hole, take what you have, evaluate the talents of your players, and then try and make your scheme and your play calling fit that. I think that's the best way to do it. So uh, Gannon has won me over in at least that mode. Here's my one, and again, we're two days in to the Eagle defense and Jonathan Gannon's stay as defensive coordinator. May it be a decade. Um <sighs> Sometimes I think, and this happens in different sports, football just being one of them, people get too crazed about position flexibility that they will actually lean toward when putting together a roster, keep a guy or uh, put a guy on a specific spot on a depth chart because they can play many different positions. That's a nice attribute to have. If you can move around, if you can play different positions, I think it only helps you out in your NFL career. But I wouldn't necessarily lean on that, that, oh, I've got this uh, jack-of-all-trades piece that I could put everywhere. I I like to play my best football players. Get them on the field. If they have flexibility, fine. But if I'm trying to shoehorn a guy in because he can play three or four different positions – I don't want to over-reward flexibility if you get the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, Jerry, and here's the thing. I see this with the Arizona Cardinals. I call them tweeners, and Isaiah Simmons for the Cardinals is a definite tweener. And I thought it was great for them to have him play strictly linebacker, but five games in, they were like, you know what? Maybe this guy should be playing where he played in college at safety or quarterback. And then they kind of dropped him back in coverage a bit. And he was all over the place last year, which is all well and good. I love how he could play five different positions. But as a football player, he did not have that great of a rookie year for a guy who should have made an instant impact. So that's what I worry about when you got guys like Jacoby Stevens on the roster or, you know, a Jannard Avery. It's or, yeah, even Brandon Graham because he can move inside. I'm like, well, yeah, Brandon Graham's really good inside. Don't get me wrong. But. I'd rather see him on the edge, stopping the run, and being that guy to get you know pressure on the quarterback. When he's on the inside, he doesn't really get to do that that much. Here's one of the things that kind of hit me yesterday with what Cannon had to say and the type of practice they were going through. He truly does believe turnovers help you win football games. And I don't think you have to be a rocket science football coach to figure that it's, it's pretty self-evident, but how much are you going to dedicate toward it? How much are you going to put as emphasis toward it? Um, more power to him. If he can cause them and create them this year, uh, I've said on the air for years, you can't handicap turnovers. You can't game plan them in. You don't know that you're going to get three turnovers in the course of a football game before the football game even starts. But I like his attitude that he thinks he can increase the number of turnovers. Well, the Eagles were one of the least turnover teams in football last year, so he 
better be able to increase it. Do you believe that you can just with your desire, with your attention to it, that you can actually increase a number of turnovers your team's going to get over the course of a season? Well, I'll go back in time a little bit. I thought the 2007 Eagles actually had a really good defense under Jim Johnson, but they didn't get turnovers. And they had guys like Takeo Spikes on that team. Brian Dawkins was still really good. He was a turnover machine. And Leo Shepard and Sheldon Brown were on that team. But these are guys that with turnover history, uh, forcing fumbles and getting interceptions and all that, they barely got squat, and it ended up hurting the performance. And then the next year, all of a sudden, Jim Schwar- uh, Jim, Schwar- Jim Johnson goes, hey, man, we're going to focus on – you know, cause the turnovers helping this offense out. I think the Eagles were like third or fourth in the league in turnovers that year or you know, plus minus. So, yeah, if you focus on that, I, I think it does correlate in the regular season. But like you said, Joey, it's hard to predict. Uh, you know, you're not going to say, hey, we got to get three turnovers a game. Uh, no, I, I think what you got to do is make sure you're in the plus when it comes to turn. I, I always say plus five is a really good number for the year. It, you know, it, for the takeaway giveaway. I, I think plus five is always a good number, and I think that's a number the Eagles can strive for. And in yesterday's practice, you saw a lot of drills whereby the Eagles, be it their uh, linebackers and or their defensive uh, backfield, not so much on the defensive line, but everybody in the back seven were taking turns punching at the football. Now, that is very effective. I think that's smart. I think every time you tackle a guy – once you've gotten a position where you're 90% sure that you're going to be able to bring a guy down, you take a swipe at the football. Why wouldn't you? At least get your hand in there and see if he's carrying it lightly. Most times you're not going to move it, but at least take the shot. I like that aspect of his defense. But here's the tricky part about that. As I mentioned, you got to be 90% sure you're making the tackle. Well, that 10% can be a bad 10%. If you think you've got him, all of a sudden he wriggles out, and now he's turning it upfield for another 10 or 15 yards. You have to be pretty damn sure that you've already knocked him off his feet. He's heading toward the ground when you make that play on the ball. It's an acquired skill, and it looks like they're working on that skill during these first couple of days of practice. Yeah, Jerry, and look, I played, I, I played till 12th grade, and, you know, I played defensive line. And one thing I was always you taught. You played defensive was, line? Yeah, yeah. I'm what, are you, what are you tipping the scales at now? <laughs> I'm at 130 now. I was about 170 in high school, so it's uh, still small. But 170-pound defensive lineman? You must have been a madman. I was quick, yeah. I was one okay. of those guys. Spark plug off the edge. But pretty much when we would bring someone down, we did like a little uppercut. And to just get rid of the football, just pop it loose and have someone else recover it. And – I would like to see the Eagles kind of do that. And I know that's a basic trick because a lot of NFL players have told me that, hey, yeah, we still do that even at this level. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And and I used to ask, you know, college coaches back in my senior year in high school, why do you do this? And, you know, why do we uppercut? And they're like, honestly, because people do not grasp the football the way they should. They, they're weak carrying it because they're trying to get every yard that they can. So when you uppercut it, it just loosens it a little bit and may – Maybe that causes a fumble. So I'm like, well, okay, that makes sense. So if the Eagles can do something like that when they're bringing players down, that could theoretically cause three or four fumbles a year. And I honestly think that happened to Miles Sanders last year. He got a little lazy carrying the football early in the season because Miles Sanders does not fumble the football much. And he did it twice in the game last year. It was just really frustrating to watch that. And – 
he even admitted yesterday, look, I just got to grasp the football tire, and that's what we're working on uh, in training camp. And uh, I'm glad he's doing that. And I, I think the defense, they're going to test him and take shots at that. Fumbling is one way to get your hands on it. The other way is the interception. Uh, Eagles just up to, get upgraded by getting Steve. I did read somewhere that he prefers Steve over Steven. We've been calling him Steven for uh, months leading up to the Eagles actually acquiring his talents and skills, Mr. Nelson. Um, but Steve is a guy who's never really been an INT guy. As good as Darius Slay is, he's not really a top flight INT guy. He's getting his, he's gotten his uh, uh, fair share here and there, but not a uh, mega season. Um does that concern you at all that maybe the coach is going to put an emphasis on interceptions? And, and that's a, uh, I think an innate skill that either you have it or you don't, if you go for it, you don't get it. You know what that equates to big play downfield receiver gets behind the DB. Um, again, I like the philosophy, but I'm not sure this Eagle defense there, this grouping, their secondary is necessarily fit to be overly aggressive in trying for picks. Yeah, I, I think the one who can be aggressive, at least in my opinion, is Darius Slay because he's going to have a decent outside cornerback next to him in Steven Nelson. But, the, you know, Nelson even said that if the Eagles, you know, theoretically would ask him to go play in the slot, he would go do it. I don't know why they would do that because you brought Steven Nelson to be a boundary corner. But Darius Slay's the one. I feel like he's had eight interceptions in a season before. He's had 20 pass breakups in a season before. He knows how to find the football. And – if teams actually test him, especially against really good receivers, if Slay gets beat a little bit, I think that's when you try to go for those picks and say, you know what, I, I'm, I got beat by half step here. Maybe I go for the football, and if I give up a big play, so be it. I'm probably going to give up a big play anyway. That's where I think Jonathan Gannon is uh, reaching there and telling these guys, hey, look, you know, if something does happen to you, don't be afraid to get a little more aggressive here and try to cause something. Now, I've been doing shows here in town for over 30 years. My first year was Buddy Ryan's last year, as a matter of fact. And still to this day, it boggles my mind as to how popular a guy Buddy Ryan was, considering he and I won the same number of playoff games as a coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, which would be zero. Um, but people just loved Buddy Ryan as a coach because, A, he was a trash talker, and, B, he emphasized defense. This town has always loved defense. They, uh, I would say that uh, 90% of the National Football League, if you ask their fan bases in the towns in which the NFL is in, which is more important, which do you enjoy more, which do you get more excited about, offense or defense? 90, 95% are going to say offense. Philadelphia is one of those rare entities that I think actually appreciates defense just as much as they do offense. And a lot of that starts with the ability to get to the quarterback. The league is different than it was in 1990. And there are more rules in there to protect the quarterback. But the old kill the quarterback mentality still rings true with Eagle fans. Are they going to be able to do that this year with this team? And I'm not talking about lay them out and knock them out, but get to the quarterback, sack the quarterback, actually hit the quarterback. Is this defensive line going to be able to do that? I think so, and that was one of the 10 things I thought I know about this football team because they were third in the NFL in sacks last year, and they were sixth in pressures, and that was with only rushing four guys for most of the year. Like, Jim Schwartz very rarely rushed five. I think he did toward the end of the year when they were getting a little more desperate and they were just trying things out because the season was over. But this team, I, I feel like with the personnel they have, and adding Ryan Kerrigan is huge for this, 
you're you're gonna have a guy like Josh Sweat going after the quarterback, Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett. Uh, uh, you know, Fletcher Cox is. We know what he can do. Javon Hargrave came on the second half of last year. I feel they are gonna get to the quarterback, and I feel you're gonna see multiple fronts. My issue is, who's going to be if you would rush five, rush six? Who's going to be that blitzing? safety that blitzing corner that blitzing linebacker do we know who that's going to be on this team yet no absolutely not that's going to be my concern and that that may hamper a little bit what they're going to do but in terms of actually getting to the quarterback and kind of force him to get rid of the ball sooner than he would like yes i think they're going to do that and here's good news for eagle fans if they are looking forward to sending extra guys at the quarterback which you just said you think they are going to Oh, as do I. I think they're going to do a lot more of it than they did under Schwartz. You know, we look back at last year's team and, and the, the roster that was in place and the carryover guys. If the coach doesn't give you the green light, you can't do it. So that doesn't mean, well, look at these. They got no sacks. They've never been practicing. Well, because they're dropping in coverage. We don't know what the new coaching staff is going to ask of these guys. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that any of their complimentary of linebackers and or D-backs and or safeties can actually be good at it. I'll believe they can until they prove to me that they can't rather than the other way around. And I will not hold non-blitzing Jim Schwartz, former defense against these current players. All right, he's uh, Jeff Kerr. I'm Jody McDonald. We're your Birds 365 guys. The usual co-host of the show is going to join us next. He's headed down to Birds practice again today. But before he does, he's going to join us John McMullen is next here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life. Count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Friday get-together here on Birch 365. Jody McDonald with my co-host today being Jeff Kerr. He's filling in for John McMullen. Oh, well, what do you know? There he is. John McMullen, usual co-host, Eagles beat guy, uh, heading off to camp in just a mere matter of moments. Was there. We're going to try and get him back up and uh, make sure that he is with us. J-Mac, you there, brother? Yeah, I'm trying. It's difficult. I forgot to turn off my Wi-Fi, and I'm in the car, and it picks up weird Wi-Fi signals, which is worse than than the phone when you're in the car. So you never know what's going on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me get this right. You got a flat tire. You can't get that fixed, but your Wi-Fi is working fine in your car. Yeah, the Wi-Fi is working fine. It's just not that good uh, <laughs> car Wi-Fi. As it's I like in the Lala parking lot. Yeah, I'm in a I'm in a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot. Close. <laughs> Even better. Close. Uh, yeah. And by the way, if you're trying to buy fix a flat anywhere in the tri-state area, you can't do it. Pandemic, pandemic-related shortage. Oh, not good to hear. All right, uh, but we're glad to hear you're on the road and you're at least uh, attempting to get to ego practice. You've been there the last two days. Uh, from afar, it seems to me like. The Eagles have been pretty helpful, pretty open-ended at getting you guys to, the ability to be able to talk to the players. You've been doing this for years, uh, comping this year to previous years. Am I right in what I'm saying? Hey, the Eagles are allowing you guys or attempting to let you guys get uh, as much access as you can, even in this still uh, covered by pandemic times. Yeah, they are. I, I don't want to say they didn't in the past. I think last year was really difficult uh, for a number of reasons because the protocols were so steep that uh, even the PR department was uh, a shorthanded. In other words, there was, you know, half of them couldn't even go in the building. Uh, so they were just like us because there were only a strict number of people in the building. So it was basically two people trying to wrangle up players uh, as they would come off the field and get them on Zoom. So it was really difficult. So I don't want to, I don't want to criticize them for that. But uh, Bob Lang is back this year. For anybody who's been around Philadelphia for a long time, he used to be here, um, and he went to San Francisco for a lot of years, and uh, he came back, and he's uh, in charge of the the whole department and he's uh very good at his job so uh yeah let's give bob a shout out 
Yeah, I got to give Bob a shout out too. He gets right back to you whenever you email him or try to reach out to him. I, I got to give him credit for that too. Um, John, one thing I wanted to ask, uh, Lane Johnson pretty much kind of described how the COVID situation was last year, eating lunch in his car. He seems really happy to be able to actually see people and talk to you guys. Yeah, Jason Kelsey says the same thing. You know, that's part of the reason you play this game, especially when you get up to be, you know, plus 30 and, and it takes a toll on your body. And one of the things they always talk about is the camaraderie in the locker room, cafeteria, things like that, just hanging out with the guys. And uh, they weren't able to do that last year. I We always joked that it was a perfect situation for Namdi Asimov. If he would have came in last year, he could have eaten his car. Nobody would have thought anything of it. Would have been perfectly fine. Everybody else wants some human contact with the notable exception of a couple of players that I shall remain nameless for obvious reasons uh, because they're not allowed to eat in the cafeteria. Understood. Uh, see where you go with that. All right, uh, John, I don't know how much info you got on the guys. I know you uh, were told yesterday they're going to be new Eagles, but they signed two guys off the street, wide receiver Andre Patton and safety OB Melifonwu who I'll be honest, I was a pretty big fan of his a couple of years ago when he came out in the draft. I thought he was a first-round talent that fell down to the second round, but he's been in the league several years now with a couple of teams, and he's just never reached the level of the potential that I thought he had. Eagles uh, grabbed him because they need some extra numbers. Either one of these guys, in your opinion, have a slight chance, a minimal chance? I would guess that either one has a great chance to make the Eagles, but... Uh, what did you think about the two signings yesterday? Well, the, the receiver, I mean, they just needed a body. Uh, they have uh, a lot of issues at receiver. Travis Fulgham uh, wasn't able to practice yesterday. Um, uh, Quez Watkins uh, still not able to practice. We'll see when I get there today. Greg Ward and Jalen Rager, which you probably read about Jalen Rager from Jeff McClain. Um, they've been doing individual work, but they're not working in team drills. So, uh, I mean, they don't have any bodies to throw out their wide receiver right now. Uh, so that signing made sense. You know, uh, Obi was here in uh, rookie camp. He was here as a, a tryout player. So the Eagles obviously got their due diligence. And uh, you weren't the only one who liked him in the draft, Jody. I mean, he was a second-round pick. He's a really big, uh, physical, athletic guy. So... You always give people like that a chance if, if the light sort of turns on for them. Uh, and the Eagles obviously need help at safety. Um, I, I, you know, Marcus Epps and Kayvon Wallace have been rotating uh, next to Anthony Harris these first couple days. And I, I just wouldn't be comfortable with that. So I, I don't know. You know, if he would be the answer, he, yeah, obviously there's a reason you're on the street. It's it's almost August. They just have an issue at that position. And probably the answer is on the far field every day. And that's Rodney McLeod, who's continuing continuing to rehab. Uh, and, you know, his goal is week one. So it's not about training camp for him. Uh, he tore his ACL in December. Uh, so they're hopeful that he can be back by week one, uh, and we'll see. That's kind of a tight window if you think about an ACL from December. Yeah, John, I kind of wanted to mention Obi Malafalo too. 
we were talking earlier about who's going to be that guy that uh, John Vigano would use, say, if he rushes five or six guys. It seems like if Malafaga would be able to make this roster, he could theoretically be like that extra blitzing safety or linebacker or wherever they would like to put him because of his frame. I mean, do you f- feel that's a way he could possibly crack the 53? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that would be his role. I mean, John's got a lot of options when it comes to what you're saying, Jeff. And, uh, I mean, you know, they really like Milton Williams. So I think people, you know, they think he can play defensive end. In fact, they compared him to Brandon Graham. They think he's that type of player with the versatility uh, to play both outside and inside. They have obviously have Ryan Kerrigan now. You know, Jonathan Gannon already said he considers both Josh Sweat and Derek Barnett starters. Um, Teron Jackson has flashed a little bit as a young player. They have a lot of potential uh, pass rushers. But as far as that role that people assume is going to be there, I I, I don't know. I, I would say Kerrigan is most likely to play it because uh, he's been a stand-up rusher in the past. They've in practice. They've they've sort of looked at Patrick Johnson and Joe Osman and Jannard Avery. Uh, I don't think that's going to work, to be honest. Um, but if if there is sort of a an Anthony Barr like role, I, I just don't think they have that type of player right now. Um, and the closest as a pass rusher would be Kerrigan. Uh, I don't think he can handle the other aspects of the role. So that might be one of the things where you got to wait. You got to wait. Maybe maybe the most likely would be Davion Taylor because of his speed and his athleticism. Johnny Mac, uh, I need some clarification here, and I'm sure you're going to give it to me. Dallas Goddard and Jalen Rager failed their conditioning test. I knew the Eagles had a conditioning test, and it kind of varied from guy to guy and position to position. How do you go about failing one's conditioning test with the Eagles? Yeah, I mean, well, everybody's different, and they never let us watch. Back in the old days, they used to let us watch the conditioning test, and we could tell you exactly what happened. That that is, Those days are long gone. Um, it, it, you know, Nick Sirianni is obviously a new coach, so he does things differently than Doug Peterson. Uh, with Dallas's case, that, that really surprised me. Because, I mean, you could just see the guy on Zoom. Forget about live. Before we even got here, you could see he was in the best shape of his life. You could see he had lost weight. You could see he was taking this very, very seriously as far as his opportunity uh, to be the number one tight end. And I'm like, wow, I did not expect that. But then it turns out he just stumbled on a particular drill and went the wrong way sort of used the wrong technique and and he didn't finish it in time so i don't think that was a big deal at all he just made a mistake um rager's a bigger deal uh because he's dealing with some personal stuff and you know we reported uh, ed and i reported at sports illustrated he failed uh uh, uh he was fined twice last year for failing uh to be under his weight clause and I think if you look at Jalen Rager on film from college and what the Eagles told us, 
he was a really explosive player, and that's what they were expecting. And he didn't look like an explosive player when he got here. Uh, maybe that was the reason. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit more concerning with Jalen Rager. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be concerned at all about Dallas Goddard because it was just a mistake. He went, uh, he took a, a sort of a false step on a drill. And when you do that in the NFL, you take a false step. That's it. It's over. You're <laughs> done. You're not gonna. You're not gonna finish. John, uh, one person I thought has, from at least what I've been reading, has had a good first two days is Nate Herbig, and. This is kind of a big camp for him and Isaac Sayamalu just based on – I don't think left guard is set in stone yet. Uh, yeah, I think it's set in stone, barring injury. I mean, Jeff Stoutland really, really likes Isaac Sayamalu. I, I mean, he likes Isaac Sayamalu more than Isaac Sayamalu probably likes himself. I mean, he thinks he's one of the most underrated players in football. Um, and yeah, he's, he's rock solid at left guard. Um, everybody's rock solid on the offensive line, except left tackle. Um, but I, long-term, obviously they drafted Landon Dickerson for a reason. And I think people say, well, if Landon gets healthy, can he beat out Isaac? He's not here to beat out Isaac. He's here to take over for Jason Kelsey or, or Brandon Brooks. Uh, the assumption is, one of them uh, at least isn't going to be here next year, and that's where Landon will slot in. Uh, but I, I will say, you know, they used to say that about Jason Peters every year, and he'd come back, and he'd come back, and he'd come back, and he'd come back. You know, Jason and Kelsey and, and Brandon are so good that if you can work out things from a contract status and they keep playing well, that could be pushed off even further. But yeah, I don't think people realize how much this team likes Isaac Sayamalo. Um, and I, I don't think he's even in danger of, of potentially losing his job, uh, by, uh, except for injury. But we say that about everybody. Okay, Mac, um, don't know if you saw, I'm sure you did, uh, your friend and ours, Jimmy Kemsky, uh, putting forth the theory, you know, Zach Ertz is here. Zach Ertz is performing. Zach Ertz is getting a lot of reps. Maybe Zach Ertz has a bigger role with the Eagles than we thought this year, including being the starter. If Dallas Goddard were to be included in a Deshaun Watson trade, if that comes to fruition, that'd be a player that uh, Texan could surely use. Did Zach Ertz just go from no friggin' way he's going to be here to the starting Tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, it, you know, maybe he should be. Um, but I think, you know, we were all a little surprised and then we found out, oh, he failed his conditioning drill. So that's why the slow start as far as reps for, for Dallas. Um, I think you'll see a change in the coming days. But the second thing is, um, and the bigger thing is, you know, and we've talked about this a lot, Jody, if Zach is here, both of them should be playing because they're both better than the receivers they have, uh, you know, after Devontae Smith. And I even, I used to say after Devontae Smith and, and Jalen Rager, no, it's just Devontae Smith. Um, they're really bad at receiver again. Uh, and now they're injured on top of it. The best receiver here has been Michael Walker. <laughs> say who? Um, who's just, you know, 
a late signing. You know, Dave Caldwell had him in Jacksonville. Uh, he came here to the Eagles. Uh, he's really quick. Uh, and we'll see. I mean, you could project him as sort of a, uh, a slot receiver type if he learns the route running part of it. And, and, and we'll see if he knocks that down. But as far as explosiveness and quickness, like he stands out on this team. And that makes me worried because, you know, Michael Walker's a nice story, but you, you look, look around this division and look at the receivers. And we always talk about what can Jalen Hurts, what, what can Jalen Hurts do? Well, if Zach Hurts is going to be here uh, and Howie Roseman, you know, said he was going to be here week one, I still think he's playing a game of chicken. But let's say he's telling the truth and say, He's going to be here week one. Well, he better be on the field. And Dallas isn't coming off. One of the receivers is coming off. John, I saw a report from Mike Garofalo yesterday. And, of course, this just was a happy accident. I was reading into Carson Wentz's first day in Indianapolis. And Garofalo drops this nugget that, oh, Zach Ertz with the beach blonde hair, and he was wearing his shorts inside out. I mean, you were there. I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't have noticed it, but that was like a sign or, you know, he and there was he dropped a little thing that where Ertz was hoping to go to Indianapolis and re-team up with Wentz, and he still kind of wants that. Have you heard anything about this? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, trade rumors dating back to – uh, last season at the trade deadline. In fact, you know, Zach would probably not be here if he got if he didn't get injured uh, and the Eagles couldn't move him at the trade deadline uh, because he was on short-term IR at the time. Uh, you know, Baltimore, the Chargers offered a fifth-round pick. Um, Baltimore was interested. Green Bay was interested. Now in the offseason, uh, you had Buffalo. Uh, and everybody speculates with Indianapolis. Uh, yeah, I mean, those guys love Frank Reich. So, I mean, it pretty much ends there. They'd love to play for Frank. Uh, Carson's obviously there and gets to. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, I mean, Zach doesn't want to be here. Um, but he's going to be a professional. Uh, and I think the Eagles are using that as leverage because they know he's not going to create issues uh, and they know if they can't get what they want, uh, he'll just play out of his contract and be a professional and go about his work. Um, and, and they're using that to their advantage. And from a business standpoint, it makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, from a human standpoint, you can argue he's meant so much to this organization. He's done so much for this organization and the community, by the way. You should maybe pay a little bit of deference. But, you know, way back when I asked Howie, I, I asked him about the relationship. He said, Some, sometimes you have to play the bad cop. I think he's been playing the bad cop. And it's part of it's why they call it a business. And it sucks sometimes for the players. Right, but you can still make it work. Even if you're not happy about it, you can still go out and perform and uh, give Zach Ertz that much credit that he's come in and seems like he's ready to get it done on the field. 
maybe not uh, how he feels, but uh, as long as he is playing at his top level that he can, that's the, the goal the Eagles have at this time. All right, no, you had a chance to listen to the new defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, yesterday. Uh, second time you guys really had the chance to uh, exchange uh, ideas with the coach. Anything jump out that he said that you were surprised by? We're all kind of still learning what Jonathan Gannon is all about and how he plans to de deploy his players this year. But did, it, was there something yesterday that he said that kind of grabbed you and said, all right, I didn't know that. I, I need to keep an eye on that. If that's going to be one of the key things, okay, now we know that much more about Jonathan Gannon. Well, I, I think he is open-minded, especially when it comes to the back end of the defense. He's looking at everybody. I mean, I think we were all surprised. Uh, remember, Alex has not been able to practice yet, Alex Singleton. So, um, Davion Taylor got first team reps and, you know, on day one. And we were all surprised by that. Uh, even though I've, I've, I've kind of advocated throw him into the deep end of the pool and see what he can do uh, because he's so much more physically gifted than any other linebacker they have. Um, but TJ Edwards was getting first team reps. Sean Bradley was getting first team reps. Uh, so he's going to look at everybody. He's going to look at Marcus Epps, as I said, and Kayvon Wallace. Um, I, I, I think the corners are set. Steve Nelson had to tap out. Craig James got some first-team reps because, you know. Oh, did we lose Johnny Mac? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe he flipped his Wi-Fi back on. Did he move the car? Did he spill his Dunkin' Donuts? He, you know, he mentioned Craig James. <laughs> I'll have to stay here to find out. All right, why don't we take a quickie time? We'll, well, we'll come back and see if we, we can reestablish. I'd love to spend a couple more minutes with John McMullen here with us on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. All right, Mac and Mac guys back. Today that would be me, Jody Mac, with Jeff Kerr. Filling in for John McMullen, and we don't even have John McMullen. We had him. He disappeared on us, and he's having trouble reestablishing. And uh, we just had another uh, eight or nine minutes with J-Max. So it uh, doesn't look like we're going to get to talk to him. Oh, he'll be back here on Monday reporting live from Eagles camp. But uh, I, I did want to hit John with one or two more things. He mentioned the back seven is kind of in flux right now, that the – at new uh, defense corner, Jonathan Gannon is trying a lot of different things, which I'm perfectly fine with. This is, as the owner, Jeff Lorry, uh, deemed it when he let Doug Peterson go, a transition year. It's a transition year on a lot of different fronts. And a part of that is finding out what they actually have and the capabilities of the players on this roster. I'm perfectly good with that, Jeff Carr. How about you? Yeah, I am too. I, I love the whole mixing and matching and just trying to see what they have. Like, look, maybe the Eagles knows a player like Devion Taylor, who has been, from all my accounts, one of the breakout stars of camp so far. But, you know, you do have to see what you have in the TJ Edwards and, uh, you know, uh, Jannard Avery and Joe Osman and guys like that, because you're not determining the first 30 guys on your roster here. You're trying to figure out who the last five are and that's ultimately what's going to make a difference and i can't wait till they actually get into more special teams because i think that's going to be a, the determining factor for some of these players true uh we never consider special teams especially the first couple of days of camp but before you know it you're playing games and you go oh how did they have that breakdown on special teams well you needed to be paying better attention to it when you got to that point in a game um uh, we talked uh, a couple, good couple of minutes about Zach Ertz and where he's at. You mentioned that Garofolo report that he had his shorts turned inside out. Uh, if I did that, people would just say that idiot McDonald has his shorts inside out. But Zach Ertz did so on purpose, and we're supposed to read something into it. Garofolo is very good, so I'm not dismissing what he's saying. I'm just saying uh, kind of an interesting observation. Um, but he's here, and he's working out, and he's playing. And because Dallas Goddard, quote-unquote, 
failed his conditioning test, and John did a nice job of explaining that for us. He's getting a bunch of reps when push comes to shove. And I know we've got a lot of steps to go between now and then, Jeff, and the first game of the season down in Atlanta. Remember, the coaching staff wasn't here when Zach Ertz went through the motions that he did to almost show that he didn't want to be here anymore. And it was a almost tearful departure from Philadelphia. Well, it might have been a premature departure from Philadelphia. Do you think that the coach will go to bat for Zach Ertz if Howie is still out there shopping him, seeing what he could get? Do you think there's any chance that the head coach goes in and says, listen, don't trade this guy. I got plans for this guy. Uh, this guy can work for me. I know he had a bad year. I wasn't here. And his uh, numbers dropped off precipitously from what you usually got from Zach Ertz. But I'm thinking he can bounce back and be a key part of my offense. What do you think the chances are that that happens? If he's the second best wide receiver on the team, uh, that's a little concerning right now. After what John said, you know, it looks like it's going to be another long year for Eagles wide receivers, not named Devonta Smith, which really concerns me because Jalen Rager has not really been practicing. And if Travis Fulgham is the Travis Fulgham we saw at the end of the year and Greg Ward is, you know, I like Greg Ward. He catches the football, but you know, if he's your number four receiver beating out John Hightower and Wes Watkins, you got some problems there. So, yeah, I think you're better keeping Zach Ertz around. And I, I want to ask John this. Do, do you think they would possibly entertain giving up one of the higher draft picks they have to get a veteran in here or to guards a trademark and to get something that help out this team? You're talking it's a wide receiver position? Yeah, the wide receiver position. Yeah, I think that's got no chance, no shot, uh, for a very specific reason. Even though the Eagles have made moves like signing Ryan Kerrigan, like making the big move this week to get their CB2 to play across from Darius Slay with Steve Nelson, I, I just don't think they're going to give up future assets. The moves that they've made have all been free agent moves, and all it uh, took to get something like that done was allocating some of your cap space and coming to an agreement with that kind of a contract. I think Howie Roseman has worked hard to put himself in position to have, quote-unquote, draft assets if they're going to make a big trade. Now, a big trade is, yeah, a different quarterback, not an upgraded wide receiver over the group that seems to be underwhelming at this time. I don't think there's any way he gives up a draft pick to get a wide receiver. No, they're going to continue to give J-Jaw more uh, reps. Uh, they, they haven't completely given up on him yet. Maybe I have. Maybe you have. But apparently the Eagles haven't. And he's getting some quality reps you know, the first couple of days because everyone else has some kind of uh, injury that is keeping them on the sidelines. Uh, at some point, they are going to get Greg Ward back and Rager will get better. But how much better is better? Is it going to be enough? Uh, I don't see the Eagles addressing that from the outside in, though. I think they're going to live and die with the guys that are here, even if they've been underwhelming the first two days of practice. Yeah, I think so, too. And honestly, Jalen Rager and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside can eliminate all this chatter right now. Just go out and play well. Like, if J.J. Ortega-Whiteside can just show – a little bit of progress and kind of be a threat in the red zone. That's something, uh, you know, the, his expectations have significantly dropped <laughs> since last year. I mean, that's just how bad he's been. And Rager, if he can be what the Eagles thought he could be, or even half of what the Eagles thought he could be, that's going to 
significantly help the passing game. And then maybe you entertain making Zach Ertz happy. But right now, I, I would keep Zach Ertz on this roster. And Nick Sirianni pointed this out on day one. If we got to run more 12 personnel, so be it. You know, I'm, I'm going to adjust my offense. And I think, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of 11 personnel. But again, you can line Zach Ertz up as a third wide receiver if you want to, if you really want to get both these guys on the field. I think Nick Sirianni does have a plan for Zach Ertz as long as he is on this roster. And, yeah, let, let me ask about that, because so much of it is perception. Uh, the Eagles want to be in 11 that much more. They need to get faster. They need to get speed on the field. I get that. I understand it, and I, I see where that line of thinking could come. Didn't the world champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers run a lot of 12 last year? They raised uh, 13. Right, three tight ends. I uh, didn't seem to slow them down on their way to a championship. So if you've got the right people to run it, if that's what your personnel dictates and you're a smart enough coach, because who wants to throw it down the field more than Bruce Arians? But Bruce Arians is smart enough to know, okay, I got a bunch of good tight ends. Uh, Gronk comes in and plays just because Brady asks him to, and he can still play and make plays for us. Well, I guess I better get him out there on the field. Shouldn't the Eagles have the same exact thought process? Well, exactly. And it's going to be more, okay, we're going to be methodical. We're going to move the chains, but you could still have that big play. I mean, the Bucs were able to do that. They would have these long conservative drives all of a sudden, boom, big touchdown to Chris Godwin. Boom, Mike Evans in the end zone. And, you know, that, that kind of – Scotty Miller, that kind of yeah. lasted the entire season. And you didn't really see the explosives come until I, – I, I mean, I felt bad for O.J. Howard because he got hurt, but that was when – you really saw the big chunk plays, the 20-plus air yards down the field. But the Eagles don't really have to rely on that because they are going to have Zach Ertz. They are going to have Dallas Scott. You can even use Richard Rodgers in doing this. Like, it, there's a lot of uh, pieces that Nick Sirianni can figure out, and you could still go for that home run with a Devonta Smith or a Jalen Rager if need be. And if those two can do that, this will work. Let me ask you about a name that uh, either you threw out or John. I, I apologize for not remembering which one of you did, uh, but a name that I hadn't contemplated for six months. And I say thank you very much, and I didn't have to contemplate it for six months. But it came up in yesterday's Eagles media session after the practice was over and done with. Someone asked Travis Kelsey about Jason Peters. And Travis uh, had a uh, – Kelsey had a uh, – uh, a well thought out and I think a heartfelt answer about JP. Um, and I recognize that he is going to the Hall of Fame someday. He is a Philadelphia Eagle. I know he didn't start his career here, but he played the majority of his career here. So if they had helmets at, on their busts in uh, Canton, it would be with an Eagle helmet. Uh, and uh, we'll keep his career achievement in its proper perspective. But the last two years, he's actually been a deterrent for the Eagles. I've kind of been outspoken about this and uh, the fact that he came back and dictated where he was going to play and um, don't know exactly how that was decided behind the scenes, whether the coaches were good with it or the coaches were told this is what he was going to do. We all knew about Peter's relationship with Jeff Lurie. We have finished talking about Jason Peters, the player, right? We're not going back down this road again this year that at some point somebody's going to start a 
you know, if the Eagles really needed him, Jason Peters could come back and play. I hear he's in pretty good shape and keeping himself in good shape. We are done with that conversation, are we not? We are done with that, yeah. Uh, Jason Peters, I do not see walking back in the Novacare complex unless he's a coach. Um, I, You know, and I don't know if he has that ambition or not. I think Jason Peters still wants to play in the NFL. He always had ambitions of playing until he's 40, but you're right, Jody. He was that bad last year, and I get him and Lane Johnson are bros. Like, Lane Johnson did point this out yesterday that – you know, he's the OG now in the Eagles locker room, especially among the offensive linemen. He's been there the long – well, actually, Jason Kelsey has. But, you know, the, the point still remains. Like, Lane Johnson's like that guy now, the guy they look up to. It's him and Kelsey. Like, I think before it was Jason Peters, and I think Lane Johnson said, hey, you know, I got to take the Jason Peters role a bit. I, I think Jason Peters was a good leader for that team. And, you know, I respected the heck out of Jason Peters for a lot of years. I remember – in 2016, pretty much the first time he got to speak, he really ripped into Chip Kelly. And I thought that was Jason Peters holding back three years of frustration and finally getting that out and saying how different Doug was. And, you know, I, I, one thing I always respect about Jason Peters was he always kept it real and he was honest. And it probably ended up hurting him in, at the end because, you know, he should have been a left guard last year. He was not a tackle anymore. And he basically forced his way over there from all the recollections I got. And uh, it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, the, the whole Jason Peters thing, that's done. Um, I'd love to see him back with the Eagles as like a coach or something. I, you know what, Jody? I, I will say this. And you remember the Brian Dawkins saga as much as I do. They still feel terrible about what happened to Brian Dawkins. And I always said to myself, I would love to have been a fly on that wall when the Eagles told him, or for that conversation, when the Eagles told him, hey, we are not matching this offer from the Denver Broncos, even though you are an icon and you will be in the Hall of Fame. I think they wanted to make sure that did not happen with a guy like Jason Peters. I'm actually shocked they let that happen to Malcolm Jenkins. But Jason Peters was definitely that guy that they view as, I'm not saying they're ever going to retire his number or anything, but that's how highly they think of him. Understood, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty much on the same page as you. It's funny that you referenced the two uh, defensive backs that you referenced. I didn't have as big a problem with the Eagles moving on from both Dawkins and uh, Malcolm Jenkins from a legacy standpoint that, oh, they need to finish their career as Eagles. I, I think that's well overblown and well overstated. I just thought both of the guys could still play. I thought the Eagles underrated their talent that yes, the offers that they got elsewhere, forget about what he had done for the town. Forget about how fan favorite either one of them was just evaluate their football talents and skills. I thought Brian Dawkins was worth the contract that he got from the Broncos. And if the Eagles had a chance that they should have matched it, not because Doc was Doc, because Doc was the football player that he was at the time. Same thing with Malcolm Jenkins, uh, great in the community, outspoken leader, all that. Put it aside, I thought that he deserved what he got as a football player from the Saints. And if the Eagles had the chance to match it, they should have matched it. People make a big deal about what the player meant and what the player had achieved. And I think there's something to that, but it can awful, oftentimes be woefully overstated. The most important thing is what can you produce for me on the field? What are you still giving up to me down in and down out? And I thought both of those guys still had a ton left when they got out of town. 
Yeah, Malcolm Jenkins proved last year he still could play football. Like the Eagles could have used the player like Malcolm Jenkins in their secondary last year. And I even think Jim Schwartz vouched for Malcolm Jenkins. I think he wanted to keep him around. And the Saints were more than happy to bring him back. I, I think the Saints, well, I know they regret letting him go for Jarius Bird. That, that was a terrible move for them and probably cost Drew Brees another Super Bowl in, in the long run because that's how much of an impact Malcolm Jenkins made. And we saw what he did in Philadelphia. It was the same with Dawkins, Jody. I mean, he made two Pro Bowls after he left the Eagles. I, I agree with you. It's No, it, it's not that we want them to retire as Eagles. We want them because they could still play football. And I, I always feel that way, you know, when the time comes with Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, like Brandon Graham's still here because he's still a really good football player. Fletcher Cox, even though his cap hit is going to be astronomical the next two years, he's still one of the premier defensive tackles in football, even though the sack numbers may, may not be there. He's still getting to the quarterback. He's still making an impact on that defense. And that's what you got to look at going forward. No, you haven't been down at uh, camp like Johnny McMullen and all the other Eagle beat guys, because you've been here with me the last couple of days. And uh, thank you for that. Uh, two key positions for the Eagles in the trenches where it's not a given as to who's going to be the starter. One is a little bit more important because uh, you don't swap guys in and out on the offensive line the way you do on the defensive line. So somebody's going to win a defensive end starting position for the Eagles, either Josh Sweat or Derek Barnett. Um, but there's a good chance that one's going to play 51%. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Could just snap any other guy's gonna pay 49% of the snap. So what what really does it matter? Ooh, who gets that first snap on the first defensive play of the game? It, it, tell me who's playing the most important plays. Uh, but the offensive line is much more important because they just don't rotate guys at offensive line position the same way they do on the defense. So I'll start there with you. Uh my lotta. And uh, right now is day two. He was the guy who actually got the starts. Um, again, they, they were jockeying in and out, different guys at different times playing the position. How do you think we're going to try and get inside the head of their offensive line coach who probably has more say-so and sway with who's going to be on the field than any of the other Eagle assistant coaches right now? How do you think uh, he is going to go about determining who should be the starting left tackle? Well, this is what's going to be tricky, at least on my end. Andre Dillard was a first-round pick you traded up for. When Andre Dillard is at his best, he's a first-round talent, and he's a guy that can be your left tackle for the next 10 years. Uh, the potential's through the roof, but so is Jordan Malata. You know, the Eagles took a chance on a rugby guy, and – He's just scratching the surface of what he can do. And we actually know that Jordan Mulata can be good in the NFL. We don't know that about Andre Dillard. So I think this whole thing is going to be determined through preseason reps. And I was a little concerned. Derek Barnett was beating the crap out of Andre Dillard again. Um, you know, this seems to be a common theme in camp from the reports. It's Derek Barnett was having his way with Andre Dillard. I'm like, well, Derek Barnett's been having his way with him the past two years, two, three years. So, 
uh, you know, th that's what's concerning me a bit because I know people have their reservations about Derek Barnett. And you mentioned the DNs, Jody. Josh Sweat, he could be the first second down guy, and Derek Barnett uh, can be an excellent third down pass rusher for this football team. They could still split the snaps equally. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And Derek Barnett can line up on both sides of the field. I don't know if Josh Sweat can do that. But back to your initial point here. I think what's going to be the determining factor is, and I talked to uh, Dalt Reiser from the Denver Broncos, and he pointed out something really interesting to me when we were talking offensive line play. It's not how you perform fully. It's do you know your slides? Do you know your protections? Are you helping out the guy next to you? In their case, the left guard. Are, do you understand the quarterback, his footwork, his mentality? That's like the stuff we don't, compute in here and that's stuff they're going to be watching on film so they could look great in practice but if they're not protecting that b gap and that c gap like they should or they're not getting there to or they're not computing the play as quickly as they like that's going to be very interesting so i thought that was a really interesting topic dalton riser pointed out to me fair enough and here's one thing that i think we need to alert eagle fans to because Again, I talk to him when I take calls on WIP. We've got our uh, streaming following here on Birds 365. Somebody's going to win a job. Somebody's going to be the starting left tackle. And I have a lot of faith that Stoutland will pick the right guy. Again, uh, Eagles were lucky to be able to retain him as their offensive line coach. I think he's one of the best positional coach, not in Philadelphia, in the entire league. That's how highly this uh, coach is thought of at least by me, and I think by most everyone. So we have faith in the coach that he's going to pick the right guy. If you think the guy who loses the job is something the Eagles are going to be able to flip and put out on the open market and be able to make a trade for, because, yeah, he's not starting here, but he's a starting left tackle. Uh, the only reason he's not starting, he was beat out by his competition in the camp and Somebody will be reaching out to the Eagles say, please give us your other starting left tackle. I think they're blatantly overstating it. I think both of these guys are good. I don't think either one of them is very good, and I'm damn sure that neither one of these guys are great. I don't think the Eagles are uh, capable of trading the loser of this competition to another team. Do you? Here's the thing, Jody. We've been spoiled at the left tackle position here really since Barrett left the nest. So it's been Trey Thomas. It's been, you know, Jason Peters. So, yeah, th this is what concerns me here. And if Diller were to beat out Mylotta, I actually would be selfish and keep Mylotta around because he can play right tackle. And what happens to Lane Johnson if he gets hurt? Do you go with Driscoll or do you go with Mylotta? Well, Mylotta's been able to do this, and he's a starting caliber lineman. So Mylotta has a future here, regardless. But if Mylotta beats Dillard, that's when I think the trade market opens up because the Eagles can say, hey, look, this guy is – look, I know he lost a job to a seventh-round pick, but he's a first-round talent. He actually played well in camp, and he just lost out. Because uh, Andre Dillard, um, we're pretty sure he can't play right tackle. Uh, you know, he, he basically compared it to writing with his left hand. So, uh, again, um, I, I, I think that's what would happen. But, you know, we'll see. There are a lot of teams that could use a left tackle in this league. Um, I think there are only about nine or ten decent left tackles in the National Football League. That's just how bad it is. And, you know, someone would take Andre Dillard off the Eagles' hands. Well, take Andre Dillard off the Eagles' hand is a good way to put it. Um, 
he is still a first-round draft pick. He's making first-round draft pick money. And if you get to the point where you're going to execute that fifth year of the contract, it grows pretty quickly. And I don't think there's anybody in the league who would say right now, oh, yeah, let me extend him and pick up the fifth-year option on his contract. Not with the way he's played. Uh, no, I, I think you're overstating, and I think that other Eagle fans feel the same way. Well, we can always flip to it. We always get a uh, draft pick in return for Dylan. Yeah, a sixth or a seventh. Yeah, a day three. You want to you yeah. trade a guy that you just used the first-round pick on three years ago for a sixth or a seventh? That would raise a pretty ugly red flag for Howie Roseman. Oh, there's a lot of red flags going on Howie Roseman over these last couple of years uh, with these high draft picks. I mean, Dillard, Rager, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, uh, you know, help us all with Devonta Smith isn't what we think he can be. Uh, but, you know, it's – these last two drafts are why the Eagles are where they are, essentially. I'm not counting 2021 here. But the 2019-2020 drafts, and it, to an extent 2018, they're why the Eagles are where they are right now. They have a new head coach. They have a new offense coordinator. They have a new defense coordinator. They're basically hitting the reset button. And we'll see if the reset button works for them. Um, we think the offensive line is a strength. Left tackle is the one position they were questioning. I, I did ask, ask you about the competition on the other side. Barnett has had some good reps against Andre Dillon. Now the question is, is that because Barnett is making great plays or is it because Dillard isn't doing a job and keeping him from getting it? Uh, I'm not as big a Barnett fan as some are. John is a bigger Barnett fan than I am. Um, <laughs> do you think he, because he is the higher of the two draft picks, has the leg up in the competition for that right now? We just talk about how how he likes to make sure his draft picks and whatever influence how he has over this new coaching staff, he's going to continue to remind the coach where someone was actually selected in the draft. Uh, you think Barnett is going to have a breakout year? You think that the Eagles will be talking about a con uh, potential contract extension with his agent? while the season is ongoing? Well, that's what's going to be interesting. You know, if Derek Barnett does get off to a hot start, you know the contract talks are going to be coming from his camp because they're they're going to want him signed. Um, this is what concerns me about Derek Barnett, and this is not a knock on Derek Barnett at all. It's the market for edge rushers. And when I see a guy like Sam Hubbard, who the Cincinnati Bengals really like, and he does get to the quarterback, but – if you look at their careers, Derek Barnett has had a better career right now than Sam Hubbard. And Sam Hubbard just got $40 million for four years from the Cincinnati Bengals. And Derek Barnett's making $10 million a year now. So if Derek Barnett has a good year, what's he going to make? Is he going to be like Trey Hendrickson, who just had 13 and a half sacks or something like that last year and got a big deal from the Bengals of all teams because the Saints didn't want to? I think Derek Barnett is going to get his money. I just don't know if it's going to be in Philadelphia. I think what the Eagles need to do is – essentially, and this is all on Barnett too, if Derek Barnett has a big year and Eagles on walk, so be it. At least you know you'll – Josh Sweat can be anything near where he was last year. I think the Eagles would be all right. It was very interesting uh, that Jonathan Gannon showed and then talked about the fact that on the defensive line this year, they're going to have different fronts, that it's not going to look like the Eagles' defensive line over the uh, last couple of years under Jim Schwartz, that – they could go 3-4 at times. They're not going to play the same exact gaps the way that they used to. Um, how does that affect the competition between uh, Sweat and Barnett in your mind, if it does at all, if they're going to have different looks and different fronts in this new Gannon defense? 
Yeah, I, that's what's going to be concerned to me. Like, how are they going to mix and match these guys? Like, if you move Brandon Graham inside, well, that creates something there. But, you know, John pointed this out, too. Ryan Kerrigan could be that, that guy who just is that extra attacking blitzer and who has played linebacker, and you can line him up there. So maybe that creates um, some snap opportunities for both. I, I still see both as kind of in the rotation. I don't think either was going to – and we know this on defensive lines now. They always rotate. This is around the league. But no one, I think, is going to seize the job. I think it's going to be more of who can show their value outside of the edge. And I don't know if Josh Sweat – can do that. Uh, maybe that's what they're going to find out. Because Josh Wett, to me, is a pure edge rusher. But Derek Barnett, the Eagles have moved inside before. They kind of know what he can do there. So if he can create some disruption in the middle, I think that greatly helps Derek Barnett get more snaps and kind of puts him over the edge over Sweat. You mentioned around the league. And I did have one around the league question for you. Uh, Mike Sielski from the Inquirer is going to join us coming up by 10 minutes from now. We'll talk all things football with Mike. Um, but I did see this on Pro Football Talk uh, last night or this morning, I don't remember which, that Aaron Rodgers, after all the talk and uh, the potential holdout and the cryptic messages that he gave, whatever, give it a chance on golf, television, broadcasts, and the like, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Um, and the kind of mishandling by executives with the Packers, call them a complicated fella it was just a drama filled nonsense summer but they got it settled before camp actually started rogers came in the report was that the packers agreed to eliminate the last year of his contract which is 2023 and they wouldn't uh attempt to recoup any of his previously received bonus money if he were to walk away and hold out then they said last night that no they can attack his money if he were to hold out and or retire, did Rogers go through all of that just to get one year taken off his contract? He's still in green Bay for this year. He's still under contract to be with the Packers next year. And if they trade him, so be it. If they don't, he's kind of obligated to show up. Otherwise they can take his money away. Um, did Aaron Rodgers lose this battle of the wills during the off season in your mind? I think they both kind of came out as a winner. Honestly, I think Aaron Rodgers got, what he wanted and I think it was the opportunity for a team to trade for him in 2022 and I gotta read the full details of the contract but it seems like too the Packers can I don't want to say cut him but they can save a lot of cap space because it's going to be over 40 million for next year and just kind of flat out get rid of him which I don't know why they would want to do that I think a team would gladly pay for trade for him and that way they're only absorbing about like 40, 50% of the cap space. It's kind of like with the Colts and Carson Wentz, you know, the, the Packers would pay some of the dead cap money, but they would get a, a premium package for Aaron Rodgers because it's one year and then he can work out a deal with whatever team he wants to go to. So I think that's where it worked out for Aaron Rodgers, but we're also worked out for the Packers is, Hey, look, you know, you're not going to hold out on us. Like you said, Jody, you are, if you are committed to being here, we can take stuff away from you. And so I think that's how they negotiated on both. I just don't think Aaron Rodgers wanted to be there three or four more years. I think he just said, no, um, you know, I'm pretty much done after 2021. You guys can be happy and trade me and I'll get something for you. Uh, you know, essentially. And, you know, I'll pick where I want to go and you guys can work the deal. I, I think that's kind of the, the backdoor handshake agreement they'll make. Maybe the Packers will use this year to convince Rodgers to stick around. 
Randall Cobb is a good start. I, I know there's too much of, you know, Aaron Rodgers and his love for Randall Cobb, but that's what Aaron Rodgers seems to want. I, I, I From what I gathered, it just seems like Aaron Rodgers just wanted them to ask him what they thought about cutting this guy or signing this guy. And it seems so minuscule because the Bucs do it with Tom Brady and the Chiefs do it with Patrick Mahomes. And the Texans have even done it with Deshaun Watson. And the Texans are a mess. But backers just don't do business like that. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers basically said, why can't I have this? Why am I just considered an employee for you guys? It's funny. Uh, if uh, JM were in today, I would be able to ask him this question. And no, I'd be able to get an answer. I need to ask you a question before I ask you a question. You a wrestling fan? No. <laughs> okay. uh, the champion of uh, SmackDown on the WWE Friday Night Shows is Roman Reigns. And his angle these days is, acknowledge me. I, do, I have heard that, yes. Okay. I, I, and I that's, do, that's oh. what I think Aaron Rodgers is going for these days. Acknowledge me. Admit that I'm one of the best quarterbacks of team not be here. So when you're going to make a move with one of my teammates, you need to run it by me first before you pull the trigger, before you redo our lineup. Okay. If you are that big, you can take that kind of a stance. And then it comes down to the organization to either acknowledge him or go, no, that's not the way we do business. Like Jeff Kurt said, that's not the Green Bay Packers. Just because somebody else does it doesn't mean we have to do it that way. It's always a balancing act. And I think both parties kind of messed it up this offseason. I think the Packers took too hard line of stance. I think Aaron Rodgers overstated his own importance and or and not necessarily even his importance. Just if he wants to play general manager, you got to be good at it. You can't let like your buddies be the guys that you want to keep because you get along well with the guy. Randall Cobb was going backwards when he left the Packers. He didn't have a great year with the Cowboys. He moved out to the Texans and his stats went back even worse. Does Aaron Rodgers think that he is so good that he can resurrect the career of Randall Cobb and make him a hundred catch, 1200 yard, 12 touchdown guy again? Good luck with that, Aaron. Uh, that's where I'm kind of on the Packers organization side. Aaron, we know you're a great player, arguably one of the most talented to ever throw a football, but it does mean you're a great general manager, and he seems to want that capability up in Green Bay. Very interesting. We'll keep an eye on that all year long. All right, uh, quickie timeout coming here on Birds 365. Curtin McDonald with you. When we return, top columnist in the city for the Inquirer, Mike Sielski joins us here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, 
Tropical Heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. A football Friday here on Birds 365. Jody back with Jeff Kerr and for John McMullen today. We're lucky enough to have our next guest joining us. I will uh, keep from asking him about the fact that Jake Borchek is not no longer here in town. Uh, no, we're here to talk Philadelphia Eagles with the best in the city. You read them on the inquirecard.com, philly.com. Mike Sealski joins us here on Birds 365. How's your summer Michael? It's very busy, Jody. Very, very busy. Um, between the Eagles restarting and the Sixers draft, and I've got a book and a podcast about Kobe Bryant that I'm working on and family is going to Disney world later this month. It just doesn't stop. Very nice. Um, let, let me uh, ask you about the Kobe thing. Knew the book was coming out soon. Podcast attached to it. Um, what is that going to be all about? Uh, where can people listen to the podcast? Is that going to start before the actual release of the book? It will. It's going to be called Young Mamba. Uh, we've got a partnership with iHeartRadio, um, and it's actually going to be um, two of the executive producers on it are uh, Anthony Davis and the actor Jonah Hill, who is a big um, Lakers fan uh, and from the West Coast originally. It's going to be 10 to 12 parts narrative podcast about Kobe's young life, uh, his early life um, at Lower Marion in Italy and the friendships he made and his development as a player and a person and all that kind of stuff. And it should be out before the end of the year. We're shooting for November. 
Very nice. Um, I uh, I want to start at the top with the quarterback with the Philadelphia Eagles with you with Jalen uh, Hurts. Um, he's hearing the rumors. He commented about it. He kind of dismissed them, which I was glad to see that uh, he's not going to continue to field questions about Deshaun Watson or anybody else for that matter. He's just going to stick to his own uh, accomplishments here with this team. How good do those accomplishments have to be, Mike, for him to be the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles in 2022? I know it's kind of obnoxious jumping up to 2022. Well, we haven't even started 2021, but it is the reality of today because he's not guaranteed or promised anything. Um, you have your idea of how good he's got to be. I have mine. We are going to try and figure out what Harry Roseman and Jeff Laurie and uh, Nick Sirianni think he has to do to establish himself as the future quarterback for years with the Eagles. What is the Sealski ceiling as of right now? All right. Well, let's, Jody, let's preface this discussion by turning Deshaun Watson into quarterback, alter- franchise quarterback alternative, right? Because the Watson discussion is so fraught with such sensitive and, you know, controversial and really serious topics that go beyond football. Okay. So let's, let's just take Deshaun Watson out of the picture and say, Aaron Rodgers, quarterback X, whoever it might be in 2022, just to get that off the table to start. I think the 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 question that's getting missed in some of this discussion goes beyond Jalen Hurts and whoever might replace him, right? In the modern NFL, teams really have a choice to make. They can say, all right, we are going to have a quarterback who we think will be competent or, in a best-case scenario, better than competent, on a rookie contract and we can take the rest of the salary cap space that we are not spending on our quarterback and use it to fill out other aspects and areas of the team. Okay. That's what happened in 2017. The Eagles had loads of salary cap space because Carson Wentz was on his rookie deal and Nick Foles, contract really hadn't kicked in and become really expensive yet. And they were able to go get, go get a bunch of veteran players who helped them win a super bowl. That team up and down was deep experienced really solid. Once you make the decision to go to a franchise quarterback and pay him like one, you have to, you know, sacrifice in other areas. And the question becomes, is your quarterback then good enough to kind of carry the team himself uh, to a greater degree than he would have when he was less expensive? So how good does, to answer your question, how good does Jalen Hurts have to be? Jalen Hurts has to be pretty good for me, but I don't think he has to be Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady show you right out of the shoot that he is as good as whatever franchise quarterback X would be. Because you can win in this league if you're smart, if you just have a really good quarterback as opposed to an incredibly great one. Now, the question the Eagles have to answer is, do we want to shoot for the incredibly great one or do we want to try to build around the guy who's pretty good or very good? Um, I think I know the answer to that question. Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman always want the franchise guy if they can get him. Uh, but we'll see. I don't necessarily know that that's the best way to try to win a Super Bowl again um, because it's not really how they won it the first time. And, Mike, one thing I wanted to point out was, too, and you kind of touched on it, but the whole franchise quarterback conundrum here, there's a franchise with a head coach that's very familiar in this city, uh, Andy Reid, they were able to convince their superstar quarterback to restructure his deal and save the cap space. Do you think maybe if the Eagles could get franchise quarterback X, they would be able to do the same and still plug holes on their roster? 
I don't know about that, Jeff, um, because what would it take for franchise quarter for franchise quarterback X to be here in the first place? Um, are you trading for him? Does he want to be here? Does he want to stay? You know, the, the situation with Reed and Mahomes in Kansas City, he's the guy that they drafted. And not only did they draft him, they had the kind of quarterback I was already describing in Alex Smith, right? They had a guy who, if you put the right pieces around him, you can do pretty well. Maybe you can't win a Super Bowl. I don't know. I'm always kind of dubious about that idea that, you know, a, a quarterback who's very good just can't win the Super Bowl. I don't know. I, I kind of liked Alex Smith. But the point being that the Chiefs said that Mahomes, we are drafting you while we have already a very good starting quarterback, and you are going to start in your second season, even though we have Alex Smith. So they made a commitment to him right up front, and then once he played great, he was willing to make a commitment back to them. The circumstances would be different with the Eagles if they got whoever they would get. So I, I don't know. To answer your question, I don't know. All right, let's get uh, real specific about a quarterback that we're talking about here, even though he's not in Philadelphia and may never be in Philadelphia, but I want your take on him just the same, Sealski. Where the Texans are right now with Deshaun Watson, he's in their camp. He's participating. But we know he has this black cloud over him that the NFL acknowledged this week by not putting him on a commissioner's list or not suspending him, that at least as per their investigation, there isn't enough to do so. So he's with the Texans. He doesn't want to be with the Texans. The Texans have probably accepted the fact that we're not going to be able to mend these fences. At some point, we're going to need to move him. But we want to move him and get the most possible they, flo they floated it out there through media sources. Yeah, somewhere around five draft picks and two, two starting players would be their asking point. Seven, seven starters. That's all we need for our quarterback. Uh, nothing like starting the bidding process high. How is this going to shake out? Are the Texans doing this correctly, asking for the moon and the stars, and then come back down? If the league doesn't make a decision and he is still there, is he going to walk out of camp? Are they going to let him walk out of camp? How do you think the Deshaun Watson plays down there in Houston? I think it's, I mean, it's fascinating and it's fraught. Um, I would be surprised if he were moved before there were decisions or a decision reached one way or another on the outcome of all these sexual misconduct charges. Um, unless these teams already are 100% certain of how that circumstance is going to play out both in um, the courts, whether they be the civil or criminal courts, or with respect to the NFL. Um, and I don't know that anybody knows that yet. Um, so to answer your question, Jody, I would – look, this is a weird situation because he clearly doesn't want to be there. He wants to be traded to the point that it looked like his attorney, Rusty Harden, leaked or told Chris ESPN – that there had been exactly 10 uh, alleged victims who had filed criminal charges against him. Right. Why would his defense attorney want that public? I mean, it just, it didn't make sense unless in some kind of weird, odd way, Harden was using that and Watson wanted that information out there to try to get the Texans to trade him. I don't, I don't understand a lot of what's happening here. Um, and I don't want to pretend to, but it seems to me that, given the way that attitudes have evolved about these issues related to Watson away from the field over time, and given how sensitive teams are going to be to that and the NFL is going to be that, to that, it would surprise me if anything happened with respect to the Texans moving Watson 
regardless of what they get want for him or were to get for him until that issue is resolved. Mike, one thing that's really concerning me about the Eagles right now is their wide receivers have not been good the first two days of camp. Uh, Devonta Smith has been as good as advertised, but after him, it's kind of like it's worse than the James Thrash, Todd Pinkston uh, era. Those guys could at least catch a football. These guys, they're so unproven. Do you feel you know the Eagles will even try to address this, or they just going with the flow at this point? I think Jeff, they're going to go with the flow, as you put it. Um, you know, I think they feel like they have. You know, it's, it, we're two days of camp in. There have been circumstances and issues that have come up. Um, with respect to a couple of these guys, my colleague Jeff McLean reported yesterday, for instance, um, that Jalen Watkins, you know, failed a conditioning test and is dealing with some personal issues, the death of someone close to him. Um, and that contributed to why he wasn't quite prepared for camp. Um, Travis Fulgham is not, you know, quite there yet. Greg Ward missed a day. Um, but I don't think the Eagles are looking at this and saying, OK, well, we got to go get somebody else. Um, just to be competent, you know, two days in the camp. I think they're going to give these guys some rope because, look, they invested resources in these in these guys. Fulgham showed them enough last year that you don't want to say, well, he can't play. And there are circumstances in which he can. The question is, you know, is he taking the steps and developing in the way that he ought to so that he can contribute this season? Same thing with, with um, Rager. Excuse me, I said Jalen Watkins. I meant Jalen Rager. Um, you know, same thing with Rager. Um, so... You know, I wouldn't look at them and go, oh, OK, well, we got to get somebody in here who can just catch the ball. I think they're going to say, let's let camp play out. We've got a young head coach. Let's see. Let's let him work with these guys and see, you know, presume that they improve over time. Mike, if uh, the head coach were a player, I think we'd describe him as a high motor guy, <laughs> uh, that that's the way he goes about doing his job and doing his business. Uh, I think it's entertaining. I'm enjoying watching him. And always think it's fun. The question is, is it actually working with his players? And some of the big-time veterans of this team, the Lane Johnsons and the Jason Kelseys, have come up and taken the coaches back and said, he's doing a good job and uh, he's got all the players interested in following him and the like. That's a really good sign when your veteran guys who've been there, done that, been part of a Super Bowl-winning team, take his back. Uh, we had one report from Michael Robinson of uh, NFL Network who said, yeah, not everybody feels this way, that uh, it isn't universally accepted that Rob Ra, uh, Coach Sirianni, is beloved in that Eagle locker room. How will we judge that from far? They'll know, and you guys will get guys to tell you stuff on the record, off the record, and the like. But is there some other external way we can judge how Nick Sirianni's way of doing things is being received by his team? Yeah, we can. How hard they play. Um, not even whether they win or lose games, um, depending on their talent level and how, you know, how good Hertz is and, you know, whether young players develop. Do they play hard for him? You know, this to me is an interesting question, Jody, because there's kind of like a generational thing, I feel like, with respect to these sorts of coaching tactics and approaches. I don't know if you guys saw it uh, on social media this morning. You were probably doing the show, but there's a there's a video clip going around social media of Dan Campbell, the Lions' new coach, doing burpees with his players during warm-ups. Jeff, Jeff, you're shaking your head. You probably saw it. I did, yes. And Yeah, and the reactions to that amongst – like, I'm 46, okay? So the reactions to that generally among media members and football fans who are older than me is like – 
look at this happy high school horse bleep that this guy is doing, <laughs> right? Um, th that'll wear off in time. And maybe it will. But there is another side to the, ar to the argument that the modern athlete, you know, people who are younger than me, significantly younger than me, respond to this sort of uh, coaching approach, that they want the coach, the person they're, they're working for, to feel as invested in their, meaning the player's or employee's success, as possible. That whole, like, I'm the coach and you're going to listen to me because I'm the coach, you know, doesn't work all the time anymore. You know, it certainly does when you have the credibility of a Bill Belichick, let's say, or, but even Andy Reid isn't that way all the time and really never has been. So um, you'll know by whether they are playing hard. That's, that's what you'll know, right? Like even in night, go back to Andy Reid's first season, even in 1999, John Chaney used to say this all the time um, when he was alive and you would get him talking about coaching and philosophy and those sorts of things that he would say, I knew Andy Reid was going to be a terrific coach that first season that he was here in Philadelphia when the Eagles went five and 11, but they were getting better every week and they were playing hard for that guy every single week. You could tell that he was reaching them and then boom, they went 11 and five the next season and took off. I think that's how that's the prism through which you have to view Sirianni, and that's the prism through which you have to judge him. Yeah, Mike, and you kind of led into – the Dan Campbell thing's awesome, but you kind of – I want to say the team up I-95 in New York, they're having a little bit of issues right now too. Um, I know Kelvin Benjamin was just cut, and he just ripped on Joe Judge, and I have a feeling <laughs> a lot of players, that message, like I'm the coach and you have to listen to me, that could be a huge problem in New York, especially since – I hate to tell New York Giants fans this. They were not good last year. They were still only six and ten. Yeah, there's the, you know the the narrative and the and the pushback on that Jeff, of course, is that they were five and three in the second half of the season and um, getting better all the time. And Judge had uh, in, instituted and installed a sense of discipline and accountability and all those sorts of things. And maybe, I mean, the flip side, of, you know, we can we can take both sides of everything. Like the flip side of what you're saying could be that just Kelvin Benjamin was being a jerk, right, and wasn't doing what Joe Judge wanting to do and other guys in the locker room were looking around and saying, go coach. Yeah. You're, you're right to, to get in his face that way. Again, that'll play out. Um, you're right. They weren't a good team last year. And this is going to, in all these discussions, it's going to come down to um, the talent that's assembled and, and are they able to develop? And in the giants case, will Daniel Jones continue turning the ball over, you know, like he's handing out girl scout cookies at the front of a supermarket, but you know, it's going to be interesting because judge judges an interesting case study in that regard because he is a younger coach right he's in his what late 30s early 40s he's not 65 he's not you know uh you, you know my way or the highway if you don't do it my way go run gassers for 10 minutes so um we'll see i you know the the, the whole division the, the whole nfc east is just so weird and unpredictable and you know i, I still think washington will be the team to beat i'm higher on ryan fitzpatrick's um, fit there than most people are. I know he'll lose them a couple of games, but he'll also be, I mean, they basically, they won seven games last year, basically with the three of us at starting quarterback. Right. So, you know, that defense is really good. Um, but we'll see. I, uh, I liked your answer on both of the last two questions. Let me try and phrase it a different way from a different perspective. Nick Sirianni, how he's going to be handled, the way the Eagles are going to be mentally prepared for this season. How much can you draw from what happens with and to Zach Ertz 
as to how this is going to play. Because the coach has certainly got say, but does he have the ultimate say? No, Harry Roseman is going to determine whether Zach Gertz is even here or not, whether he will trade him, whether he will cut him, or whether he'll be here and play but not play that much, or play and play plenty because the coach realizes he's one of my best players. I better get him out there onto the field. Is Zach Ertz going to be something we will point to to say, yes, now we know how the Eagles are going to play and how the Eagles are going to be run and how exactly Nick Sirianni is going to do his job coaching this team? I'm not sure about that, Jody. For for the reason you cited, that the separation between the decision makers in the front office, i.e. Howie Roseman and his team, and Sirianni and the lack of relative power that he has, um, really is, it's pretty wide. If Howie gets a chance to trade Zach Ertz, I think he'll trade Zach Ertz. I just think it hasn't happened yet because they, no team has presented an offer commensurate with what they think Ertz is worth. But the other side of that is the NFL isn't the NBA. It isn't a league where you can tank really and have it help you. Right. Um, I mean the, the Cleveland Browns, notwithstanding, you know, that, that team needed a, to flush everything for a long, long time. And even then, they ended up hiring Freddie Kitchens after they, you know, had flushed everything. So, but but there is value in having guys like Ertz and Brandon Graham and Jason Kelsey, even on a young team that is not expected to compete and challenge for a Super Bowl this year. Um, there is something to football culture. And so from Sirianni's standpoint, I could totally see him saying, you know what? Zach Ertz is a pro. He can help us and he fits into my offense in these regards. I can use him. Maybe he's maybe he's healthier and back to being closer to do the Zach Ertz we saw in 2017, 18, and 19, rather than the one who played last year and was kind of a shell of himself. And if and, and even if the Eagles aren't competing even for the NFC East championship, it might be good for Sirianni to have Ertz playing a lot just to have a guy who is a pro's pro who has been there and done that doing that for a team that's full of young players. Uh, Mike Darius Slay has been pretty vocal this offseason. I mean, you've seen it on social media. He's always retweeting obscure stats and I, I, I am the king of obscure stats. So he's been retweeting a lot of like myself about pass deflections, about his pass rating against, but we got to be realistic here. He wasn't what he was advertised in Detroit. He just wasn't that type of player. How concerning will it be for the Eagles if you get the 2020 Darius Slay in 2021? It's concerning. Look, everybody's talking about um, how the Eagles stabilized their secondary by signing Steven Nelson, right? You got a number two cornerback. Now you've got, you can move Avante Maddox to the slot where he's more comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. The Eagles were really bad <laughs> past defense last season. It was not good. And um, so, yeah, they're going to be better. But, but you're right. I don't think Darius, Darius Slay – I think what you're talking about, Jeff, is he was not a big play cornerback, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, and and there's a there was an expectation that he was going to be. This was a defense that really struggled to force turnovers last season, and that was such a hallmark of the defense, particularly in that Super Bowl season, right? Every time they needed, you know, a sack fumble or an interception, they seemed to get one. Some of that is circumstance, but some of that is the nature of the players that you have in that secondary. And um, I'm curious to see how this plays out. Maybe Josh Sweat, you know, or Derek Barnett kind of develop and emerge as pass rushers, which forces some hurried throws from quarterbacks, which leads to interceptions or whatever the case may be. That's kind of the rosiest scenario you can come up with. 
Um, but it's never just the one guy, right? It's never just, oh, you know, Slay doesn't intercept enough passes. Well, there's got to be passes thrown that he can't intercept. <clears throat> Pardon me. So it all kinds of kind of plays off of one another. So, you know, he can tweet out his stats all he wants, but, you know, guys like Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett are going to have a lot to do with whether he, he gets those kind of stats that he wants. Darius Slay at all on that defense are going to be the minions of Jonathan Gannon, who we heard from for the second time yesterday. And he once again emphasized turnovers. Part of his quote-unquote hits philosophy is turnovers. And there were drills they were running yesterday where you saw the emphasis on the attempt to get turnovers. Can he pull that off, Mike? Can you actually coach up turnovers? Can you put things in place to get yourself turnovers for your team? Or could that actually open up a door to making some mistakes defensively if you put too much of an emphasis on it? I mean, it's great to work on, Jody, but I think some of that is just the mentality of a particular player um, at a particular position, right? Like, remember Peanut Tillman with the Bears, you know, just seen years ago, just seemed to force fumbles and, you know, intercept passes. He was just a guy who did that kind of thing. Um, you know, so it's great that Gannon is accentuating that, uh, and is getting that into players' minds. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you, they still have to be fundamentally sound, right? You still have to be able to tackle. And we see that, you see that often, right? That players try to strip the ball and a big running back or a big tight end just rumbles past them because they didn't think, you know, they weren't sound enough to grab the guy's legs and, and tackle him to the ground. They were worrying too much about taking the ball away. So I think some of that is just inherent in the players you have. And let's see if, you know, some of the new guys that the Eagles have or some of the younger guys that they're, they're giving more snaps to um, are just kind of tend to force more turnovers. I don't know how much Gannon can do to, to make it happen. Mike, I think it's pretty clear Howie Roseman controls the 53 man roster here, but in the Doug Pearson era, it was more, I don't think there was much collaboration between the two. And I think that's where the friction started. Do you think Howie has kind of learned his lesson here and will actually talk to Nick Sariani, Jonathan Gannon about and before he makes final decisions here? I mean, he'll talk to them, but uh, you know, th their front office and their structure is set up the way it is for a reason. Um, there was a reason they ended up hiring Doug Peterson as a head coach. There's a reason <laughs> in a particularly infamous column I wrote um, before their Super Bowl season, I referred to Doug as a potted ficus. Um, while he was standing next to Howie Roseman during a an NFL draft press conference is because the Eagles believe that the coach should coach, generally speaking, and he should offer some input, input into the roster, but he doesn't have final say by any stretch of the imagination. Um, he doesn't even have as much say as a lot of coaches around the league. Um, that comes down to Howie and his staff. And so, I mean, they'll, they'll talk to Nick, I'm sure, but Nick ain't going to be making th the decisions here in any regard They they haven't, um, they haven't changed that approach as far as I know. It's funny that you brought up that very famous spikus line that you used because this year in the uh, draft afterwards press conference, yeah, we heard a lot more from Nick Sirianni than we ever did Doug Peterson in any of the drafts that he was ever here for. Do you think that was just Howie Roseman letting his new guy have his say and uh, his moments on center stage? Or do you think he actually will have at least a little bit more to say than Doug did when it came to actual roster construction. I think he'll have more to say in press conferences than Doug did, Jody. Um, you know, because Sirianni, that's just his personality. He's a naturally, you know, outgoing, gregarious, 
you know, we're going to compete against competition who were competitors, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, you know, but in the end, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is not, I, I don't think, I, I, I'm always hesitant to kind of read into how much a coach or executive says in a press conference. Um, their actions always kind of speak louder than their words. Sure. And um, you can glean some insights here and there, but I'd be surprised if Sirianni had any more polls, so to speak, in the front office than Peterson did. Mike, what would you consider a successful season for the Eagles, given everything that happened last year? I mean, I think anything better than 4-11-1. Um, and as I said earlier, the indications that they believe in Nick Sirianni. That's the important thing, right? Um, it's the retest. It's the, yeah, we're 5-11, and 11, but we've got Donovan McNabb. The defense is, is really good. And you can see this guy knows what he's doing. And if we get the, if we get the right players around, this coach and this quarterback and on this roster, good things can happen. Um, Chip Kelly was different. Chip Kelly, even though they went 10 and six, both of his first two years, you didn't have that sense around him within the locker room. You kind of had this like, is this really working? I don't know about this guy. I don't like this, you know, and that made it that much more dubious about, you know, is this going to work in the long term, even though the team's record was really good. Same thing with Doug. Like you could see, Doug could scheme an offense, you know, those first three weeks in 2016, when they got out to that three and start and, you know, they were beating, whipping the Steelers um, and all of that. And everybody, and Wentz looked great. You could see that he had the kind of coaching mind um, just designing plays at the time that, that showed he was pretty smart. Um, that to me is going to, that that's where the proof in the pudding will be is, you know, do they look like a competent, team that has the potential to improve is it just that they need better players or is it that they don't know what they're doing um they're misusing timeouts they're they're not prepared for certain strategic things that's you know that's that'll be the way you'll judge Sirianni and, and the team I think Mike last one for me and I want to play into Jeff's question just look at it a little differently judging the Eagles overall 2021 season when it's over and done with the way the schedule's laid out it's pretty tricky early and it gets easier late. Now that's my evaluation and I can be as wrong as the next guy. We always think we know exactly what are the hard parts with the easy. Game. And then we find out it's the exact opposite. Uh, but they got all those division games late. And last year, the division wasn't good. I think it'll be better this year, but I don't think it's going to be great. If they finish up strong, will we say, hey, that's a really good sign because it took time to get used to Coach Sirianni and they were building things, but they came on strong late? Or will we say, well, yeah, they beat up a couple of their other weakling division mates late in the season. How do you balance the way the schedule seems to lay out versus are they actually making improvements over the year? Well, I, let me preface my answer by with the caveat that I love – the NF part of the reason I love the NFL is the unpredictability of it. You know, a new coach comes in and nobody knows what he's going to do. And that sometimes can propel a team to a surprising season. Um, and you start week one with the Falcons. And, and that to me, that, that is a game that is, I hate saying this, but it is prime for the Eagles to get beat and get beaten soundly Ooh. because the Falcons have a veteran, an established experienced veteran quarterback in Matt Ryan, who's going to be running a new system with some new toys, including Kyle Pitts at tight end. And Arthur Smith is a well-regarded offensive mind. That just seems to me one of those games where a team makes changes in the offseason and it gets them off to a quick start right away, and, and that team is not the Eagles. Having said that, 
I think the victories, any victory against teams in your own division is inherently more valuable than teams outside your division. So to answer your question, Jody, if, if they're winning three out of the last four games of the season against the NFC East, I think it will be regarded as, okay, they're improving. It, it won't matter whether the division is good or bad because those are the games that matter more. You got to beat the Giants. You got to beat the Cowboys. You got to beat Washington. Um, so no matter how bad the division is, the team and its fans will look at that and say, okay, well, relative to the, you know, the teams that matter most to us uh, and to the Eagles, we stack up pretty well. And let's take that into 2022. And then we'll see if it plays out that way. All right, Mike, uh, understand the podcast for the Kobe book is going to start before the end of the year. Again, give us the time frame as to when uh, the book is actually going to be available. Book's called The Rise. Uh, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. It'll be in stores on January 11th. You can pre-order it on Amazon or anywhere else you get your books um, anytime before then. And please do, because that'll allow me to rock it to the top of the New York Times bestseller list before the book even hits the stores. That's our goal is to get Sielski on top of that New York Times bestseller Thank list. Thank you, Jody. <laughs> John, uh, Mike, always a pleasure, buddy. You know we'll be tapping into you again soon enough. Thanks, guys. I enjoyed it. Our pleasure. Mike Sielski for The Inquirer. As good a columnist as you're going to find in this town, this town being Philadelphia. We are Philadelphia Eagles, a.k.a. Birds 365. He's Jeff Kerr. I'm Jody McDonald. We'll come back, put a bow on the show next. Stick around. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. 
First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Coming down the home stretch here on a football Friday edition of Birds 365. Jeff Curran for Johnny Mac, who is right now at Eagles practice day three. Uh, yes, it's nice to actually be able to see and evaluate Philadelphia Eagles on the football field, getting ready for the 2021 season. We're still a pretty significant amount away from that first game, that first week. Interesting take by Mike Sealski there. He actually thinks the Falcons will be favored and should be favored and could actually put a hurting on the Eagles week number one. All right, then let's put the pressure on the Eagles, Jeff Kerr. If they win that game, does that signify, hey, they could be a winning team? Sealski said they were going to get crushed and they go into Atlanta and win their opener, or is Sealski onto something that if they do go down there and get there, took us his kick by two or three touchdowns, we go, oh, shoot. We're in for another four and 11 and four, 12 and one season, aren't we? How big is that first game? Well, it, to me, it's a must-win game just based on what the schedule is. I, you got to be realistic with yourself here. You got San Francisco coming for the home opener week two on September 19th. They're going to be a good team. They're, they got a lot to prove. And they everybody says, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance. No, Jimmy Garoppolo is starting quarterback. Kyle Shanahan pointed that out. Jimmy G is pointing that out. And he's willing to help Trey Lance. I, I think Trey Lance is actually going to be that guy who kind of starts in 2022, not 2021. So you're going to get the 49ers at their best, especially on defense. That's going to be a tough game. You got Dallas in week three. To me, that is a winnable game, but can the Eagles defense stop that offense? So that's concerning. And you got Kansas City week four. Like, this isn't getting easier here. Carolina week five, maybe. Tampa Bay on short week, week six. Those first six games for this football team are brutal. And I've said it before, they can go two and four out of that. I think that's huge for this football team. I know two and four is a low bar, but look at the teams they're facing. So if they get blown out by Atlanta like Mike thinks, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you and like the way you evaluate the on Moss full six games. Two and four, perfectly fine with that because I think they're going to be major underdogs in several of those games. How those two wins are going to be gotten to be determined, but yeah, week one against Atlanta. When you look at the other five games, you chose to draw the line at six, which is a good spot to draw it. Um, compared to, you're going to say that that's that much easier a game or tougher a game than any of the other one? No, it's one of the more winnable games out of their first six if the teams come back and play like they did last year. So, yeah, I'm not going to say must win, but it, it's going to be a significant game and it's going to be a good uh, litmus te- test game for people to get a feel about the Eagles. Now, you know what's going to happen now that I've said that. They're going to win that first game. They're going to lose five in a row. 
or they're going to get crushed in that first game and then come back and upset for San Francisco the week after. You know as soon as I take this stance that it's going to be the exact opposite of what I say, right, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. I, I do a game-by-game prediction for the Eagles every day once the schedule comes out. It's way too early, premature. It's just for fun. And I always say, I don't know why I'm doing this. I, everything I say ain't going to happen. And I think there's only one year I actually got everything right. Well, that at least the record. And that was 2017 because I am the eternal optimist. And I'm like, yeah, this team's going to win 12 games. You know, they they played a lot better. They were a three, four win team and they went seven and nine a year before. And I loved all the free agent signs and I got ripped and ridiculed for it. And you know, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but every other year I've been way off at this football team. And I, I keep saying, look, they got to win in Atlanta. I think this is, you talked about litmus test, Jody. How about their offense? Because Atlanta's defense is not that good. And I want to see what Jalen Hurts can do against uh, what I think is going to be a poor defense. I want to see what, if Devonta Smith can put up some numbers and the Eagles should be able to run the ball in that game, which I think Nick Sariani is going to do a lot of. I, I think for the Eagles to win that game, and I know we're talking about a game seven weeks away here, but they got to control the clock and keep Matt Ryan, Kyle Pitts, and Calvin Ridley in that offense off the football field. And I think they can do that and make the game close, but if they can't, I, I think Mike's right. They they could get the pants knocked off them. Buddy, I think, I'm think pretty sure it was Chip Kelly's first year. Um, I predicted the Eagles to finish 10-6, and six, and the Eagles right. finished 10-6. and six. So, man, I was ready to take a victory lap because of that prediction. But truth be told, yeah, you make your picks every week before the, on a Friday before whatever. Here's what you think the Eagles are going to do. I was 3-13 and 13, just picking the individual games. I was awful. But I got a bunch of games right that I thought they were going to win, and they didn't. I got a bunch of games wrong that I thought they were going to lose, and they ended up finding a way to win. 10-6, and six, right on, they hit the number right on the head. Yeah, yeah, but I got the game 13 right, though, right? games wrong out of 16 during the same season making individual picks. So, uh, yeah, we all, that's why I got my opinion. You've got yours. Uh, Johnny Max got his. Uh, buddy, you did a really good job these past two days, and I'm looking forward to having you with us again what, next week. Thanks, pal. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying talking to you, talking to Johnny Mack. Uh, Mike was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I can't wait. You know, this is perfect pride for me. And- Great for writing for CBS because I get so much intel just from this show. Appreciate that. And we're looking forward to having you on next week. Quickie, what's that shirt you got on there? What is that? Oh, that's Super my Super Bowl 45 shirt. So. 45. All right. Yeah, uh, CBS had the Super Bowl last year. It was a dud, <laughs> but um, it, there was a lot of hype going into that game. We'll hype up the Eagle season all, all regular season, re- leading up to the regular season, all preseason long. You want your Eagles hype, you get it right here with us here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.